614. And we're going to read from verses 1 to 9. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Our second reading is Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, and that is on the latter part of the book. Page one two one three. Page one two one three. I'll read the whole chapter. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burnt outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls 
as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us what is pleasing, that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all, with all of you. Thank, <clears throat> thanks, Manuel. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. There we go. Some people are awake. Too much um, bacon and egg rolls sitting in their belly. Not enough coffees. Uh, it's good to be together, isn't it? Come early, have a bacon and egg roll, and uh, thank God for the gift of fathers. And thanks for sharing, Tim. I think it's just one of those things, isn't it, there, where our life is messy. There's hardships. There's a, there's a realness that we can talk about. Uh, which we can do as we meet together and as we reflect and we hear from God. And how do I just pray as we do that now? Uh, Heavenly Father, your word does speak to us in the midst of our lives and uh, you're well aware of what's going on for us. And Father, it is a gift to hear from you at any time. And especially, Father, it's a gift to hear from you this morning. And um, we do thank you. Uh, for these words this morning. We thank you for the whole book of Hebrews and we pray, Father, that you might lift our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the things of you. We pray that we would not be distracted but that we would hear your word and it would refresh us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, we have reached, as Jasper said, the end of our series in Hebrews. Now, hands up if you feel like it's, we only just started it you know, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, there we go, there's a couple. Nice, Anna. Hands up if you feel like we've been doing it all year. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're glad we've reached the end. Uh, but I tell you, when we got to this chapter, did you think, is this a slightly different book? <laughs> like, I mean, the whole, we've been trudging our way through deep, weighty, heavy things of God. Uh, things of how God has worked in history through his people and how Jesus is better, how he's our great high priest, he's the, the once-for-all sacrifice. And then we get to Hebrews 13, and it's kind of just command on command on command. It's like, do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do this. Uh, and you can kind of think, hang on, <laughs> what's happened? I counted 15 uh, commands and instructions that, that he's commanded us to follow as his people. Now, you might have just joined us today. Welcome if you have. I'm glad you haven't had the whole year of Hebrews if everyone's feeling like they're ready for it to be done. 
for the three people that want more. But welcome if you join us. But this chapter 13, you might be thinking, I don't know a lot about Christianity, but this is kind of what I assumed Christianity was about. Rules, regulations, you know, some of them, oh yeah, I can see how they're positive. Love others, you know, show hospitality, care for those in prison. Others, you think, oh, I don't know. I don't know about Christianity's morality anymore. You know, they might even be... I mean, culture and society, they've deemed a lot of them harmful and backwards, haven't they? You know, what's God got to do with what we do in our bedroom? Verse 4 there, you know, let marriage. Uh, What about this one? Obeying your leaders. It's a very Australian thing to say, isn't it? That one. Submit to them joyfully. You know, this chapter, at times, it really just rubs against our culture. Uh, we don't hear anything like this in our songs or movies or, you know, from our politicians. And I mean, perhaps you're thinking, yeah, this is the kind of rules and laws Christianity that I really don't want a, a part of. But maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you think, I've just been loving Hebrews. I've been so blown away by what Jesus has done. And, you know, last week we're reflecting on this Mount Sinai, which, you know, led to fear and terror uh, and rules and regulations. And we reflected how good... Mount Zion is, peace, joy, life-giving. But then we get to Hebrews 13, I feel like, hang on, this feels a little bit like Mount Sinai, doesn't it? How is this any different to kind of the the other religions that uh, Christianity has been compared to in Hebrews? How is it any different? Well, I want to say it's radically different. (laughs) It is radically different. And that's because chapter 12, chapter 13, comes straight after chapter 12. Uh, It flows directly on. Have a look, uh, if you've got a Bible there, have a look uh, at how chapter 12 ended. Uh, Verse 28 there, at the end of where he's comparing these two great mountains and showing how awesome Christianity and Jesus is, he says, verse 28, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. See, because of this eternal kingdom that Jesus has brought in, that he has given you, uh, which you are a part of when you trust and follow Jesus, he says, let us be thankful. (laughs) Let us just thank God for what he's done in Jesus. But then he also says, but let, let us also offer God acceptable worship. See, chapter 13 is all about what do you do in response to God's grace? What he's done in Jesus? How do you uh, live out worship with God? This God that because of your sin you couldn't go near to, you'd be burned up. But now because of Jesus, you can be drawn in close to him. But what does it look like? Well, it looks like loving others. It looks like showing hospitality. It looks like for caring for those in prison, for sharing your money, for obeying leaders, for... Honouring the marriage bread. These are all very earthly, real realities about what it looks like to worship God. For those who have been rescued, for those who have received the eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's a, do you get the logic? It's a massive difference. One, you obey these rules in order to try to please and earn salvation for God. That always ends in fear and terror because we can never do it. Secondly, or secondly, you do it because of what God's done for you out of response and living a life of worship. Now, 
That's a critical difference. You do chapter 13 because he's gifted us salvation. Uh, and the key verses, I think, the, the kind of the heart of the chapter are verse 11 and 12, which pick up on this point that God has made you, if you trust Jesus, acceptable to himself. Verse 11 there, have a look at it in your Bibles. He says, now it's a bit, it's a bit interesting, we'll, come, we'll reflect on it a bit. For, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Verse 12, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Now, there's a whole history of relating to God that this kind of captures, but I want to pick up on that term, outside the camp. Uh, it, it, you know, what's he getting at? There? What does he mean that Jesus suffered outside of the camp? Well, in the Bible, it has two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. In the part before Jesus, which is the Old Testament, it used this term a bunch of times. Uh, firstly, in reference to the Day of Atonement, uh, which was where uh, God's people, Israel, would come together, uh, that have animal sacrifices, the blood would be sacrificed, uh, the body would be taken and burnt uh, as, a, as a way of uh, relating and relating with God. It was, a, it was a means that God gave so that you could uh, relate to him. Uh, the second way it's used in the Old Testament is a shorthand way of kind of uh, how God's people would remove the unclean, the, the defiled, uh, the, the sinners away from them people. And so they were kind of set outside, out of the camp, uh, and that was kind of as our, under God's judgment. Now, both of these concepts reflect a separation from God's people, but they also reflect more than that, a separation from God himself. And so have a look at verse 12 again. So what is he saying that, you know, what happened in the past, they were brought here as a sacrifice outside the camp, but now verse 12, Jesus offered... Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. See, what's he getting at there? Saying Jesus suffered for you. Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was betrayed. He was mocked. He was tortured. You know, he was condemned to death on a cross. He was carried on the hill outside of the city of Jerusalem, up on a hill for public disgrace and shaming. Uh, more than that, the, the Bible tells us the true horror of that event, the Jesus' death, is actually that at the cross, Jesus was God-forsaken. He was forsaken. That eternity passed, he'd been in relationship with his Father, and at this moment in history, for the first time, he was forsaken by his Father. Why? So that people like you and me, who are spiritually lost who by nature and by action are, 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 um, distance ourselves from God. You know, we, we, it manifests itself in all sorts. We're greedy, we're liars, we're discontent, we're sexually immoral, we're self-pleasing, self-pleasing, we're only self-serving. Uh, why did Jesus do that? He did that so that we could be made holy. So that we could be made holy. So we who were far off by our actions have now been brought near into the Holy of Holies because Jesus was forsaken and we're able to worship him. See, God doesn't need anything from us <laughs> to make us acceptable. He's already done that in the Lord Jesus on the cross. He subbed himself in. 
He, he went outside the camp, died on the cross. Now, he knows everything you've done. He did that for you. Now, what is radical about this chapter is, in spite of who we are and what we've done, because of what Jesus has done, we can now worship him. God accepts us and now we can live a life that pleases him. Now, that doesn't, because Jesus has once for all sacrificed, doesn't mean that there's no more sacrifices Christians give up to live their lives. Uh, they, they sacrifice their lives in response uh, to God and what he has done. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 15, he says, Through him, that is Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his names. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for, sac for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. See, notice here that when uh, he's talking about worship and sacrifices, he's not narrowing it down to an experience of just singing a song. Now, verse 15, he's saying, so radical is Jesus' work in your life is that actually your whole life now is about sacrificing. Verse 15, it's a continual sacrifice of praise to God. So it's not just for special times, certain days of the year. It's not just for the hour and a half we're together, but it's a continual all of life. It's a 24-7 thing. Uh, this is what Christians do for their full-time job. Now, I don't think he's talking about singing, you know, 24-7 together. I can't imagine that. I wouldn't mind that if Miriam sung 24-7, but if I sang, it'd be horrible. I can't sing in tune or time. Um, but he's talking about a whole of life worship here. Now, this is what chapter 13 is about, and the, the, the beauty and the wonder of what it is, is that actually what you do in everyday life, in your relationships and those around you, is a way that you worship God. See, it's, it's, it's not just a private connection you have with God, but actually how you relate to those around you is a way that you worship God. It's expressed in how you love and care for them. Now, there's too many of them for, for us to go in detail. I want us to kind of have a reflect on three of them. So I've got, we worship God by loving others. Uh, we worship God by honouring marriage. And we worship by submitting to our leaders. And that's what we're going to do now, okay? So firstly, he wants us to worship God by loving others. Have a look in verse 1 there. He just says, let brotherly love continue. So this is... You know, the, the radical thing that if you trust in Jesus, you're, you're in the family of God. Jesus calls us his brother, Hebrews 2, and he wants us to love each other as brothers and sisters, to continue to love each other as brothers and sisters. Now, the family metaphor, it has a whole bunch of uh, connotations with it, doesn't it? I don't know whether it's positive for you or if it's negative uh, but I tell you what, the family metaphor makes it quite intense, doesn't it? Uh, each of us here who are in Jesus, we're brothers and sisters and we're to love each other. Just think about, you know, what you do with your siblings. You know, your siblings, we're, I got, I'm one of six. Um, we're all very different. We're, we're all very different, uh, love different things, have different, you know, one's super practical, can do anything with his hands, the other one's super, um, you know, computer, 
Any, so I've got brothers that I'll call my brother who's the practical one, like if there's anything practical in terms of car or house. I've got computer brother, so if there's anything kind of technical or phone, I call him. I don't know what I offer the family, but anyway, I've, <laughs> no one really calls me for those things. Um, but, you know, one of the things, like you grow up with your family and you have all the fights and you have all the moments and experiences, but you, you, you're still intimately connected to them, aren't you? You love them. You're committed to them. Uh, this is kind of what he's getting at. This is your, um, you've got your family. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a certain intimacy as well, isn't there, in that family metaphor? Like our kids at the moment, um, they, they see each other's private parts, they wipe each other's, butt, like not each other's, but, you know, that's happened, right? If they're not wiping, Luke, as if my eldest isn't wiping the younger one, they're watching mum or I do it, um, you know, there's a certain intimacy uh, that happens. And I just think at the end of the day, this is a real rich metaphor that there's a commitment and intimacy of the church family that we're to continue to love each other. This is what we're to do. Now, you know the saying, uh, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family? It's true of the Christian church as well. We didn't choose who came this morning, who comes week in, week out. Uh, now, if we could choose, we would choose each other, wouldn't we? Yes. Um, but we are so different and diverse. Uh, but the reality is, in Jesus, we have this strong bond, this concern, this, con- this, con- this care and this love for one another. Can I just encourage you, and I see this amongst us, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. You know, there's phone calls, there's meals, there's, you know, visiting, sharing, um, sharing cars, sharing houses, uh, looking after kids. Uh, There's all the kind of practical help that we show each other. Can I say, I I feel like we're good at this. I just want to encourage you. I just think it's a blessing to be a part of a community that see each other and care for each other in such a way. But that's not normal, right? You know, it's quite radical, uh, but that's the work of God in our lives with each other. So keep doing it. Uh, keep, keep it up. Uh, now, to have kind of a community that cares for each other, loves each other this deeply, uh, it's a bit, normally it's a bit hard to break into, right? Like you've either got to be born into a, a nuclear family. But this one, uh, this one actually we're commanded to kind of welcome people in and to, to invite people in. Have a look at in verse 2 there. Uh, we're to worship and love others by showing hospitality to strangers. He says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. See, while we're to have a love, a deep connection for our family, we're to welcome strangers into our midst. We're to care for them. Now, of course, you know, offering hospitality, you know, when he says strangers, he doesn't mean just your friends. <laughs> it's uh, strangers. It's, it's larger and wider. It doesn't mean, you know, don't be silly and invite someone that's really dangerous to hang in your house. He's not, he's not kind of saying that. But he's saying we're to be open and generous to others, show hospitality. Uh, the the uh, reference to angels, he's, he's probably talking about um, Abraham, uh, who was right back in the beginning, Genesis 18. Uh, he brought three strangers into his, uh, and, and looked after them, fed them, and it, they turned out to be angels. 
Uh, we had a similar experience in Luke 24, you know, on the two on the road to Emmaus. Uh, you know, they welcome a stranger into the conversation to their house. Uh, that one turned out to be Jesus. That, you know, so um, I don't think we ought to expect when we um, have someone over that they're going to come downstairs with wings and stuff like that. <laughs> Not saying that, but he's saying just be generous and hospitable to others. Uh, this, is, this is a radical call. You know, often um, how it used to work is you kind of, and we kind of do this a little bit today, you'd kind of have people around who are maybe important or can kind of have you back around and there's a little bit of, you know, no such thing as a free lunch kind of idea. Like, you know, that's kind of how society operates. But here you say, no, just offer hospitality to strangers. Now, I think this is a significant thing. I think hospitality is powerful, isn't it? Especially since we've gone through COVID. I feel like coming out of COVID, we're having to relearn all these things that we used to do quite easily, like opening up our house. <laughs> come in. You know, come in and have a meal with us. Uh, it's, I don't think it's been happening as much as it used to. And I think it's just a powerful way that we can uh, show who we are in Jesus by opening up our homes. I remember um, when I was single um, and I was in between living at home and uh, living in Newcastle and uh, looking for accommodation. I was at a party and I, I, I was chatting to a guy from church. I said, oh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do for the next little while till I get in. The next day, he turned up with a key to his house. He said, here's, here's a key. Uh, my house is yours. There's a room in there. Bed's made. Come and use it for as long as you want. I was like, I was just blown away. I was like, wow, <laughs> that's generous. That's hospitable. Um, friends, how is our worshipping going? How is it going with our hospitality? You know, our, our home's more of a fortress. <laughs> We're too nervous to let people in. Well, they might see the food on the floor from our meal last night. <laughs> they might see the dirty clothes, all the different parts of it. No, don't, homes aren't to be a fortress. Open them up. Let people in. It's such a blessing uh, and you get to learn lots and uh, participate in hospitality. Who knows? They might, you might be entertaining angels. Um, now, it's not just about welcoming them into our home here, but he actually talks about going to them out there as well. Verse 3, uh, he says, Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you're also in the body. Now, in uh, the context who he's originally writing to in this ancient letter, there was a bunch who were in prison, very costly for following Jesus. They've been put in prison for that. Uh, and instead of just thinking, sucks to be you, that's unfortunate, he's saying, no, go to them, care for them, uh, be, be minister to them, turn up at their place. Now, we might not have people in prison for following Jesus, but we do have lots of people that can't make it each week with us. We have people around that, and just going to them, caring for them, bringing a meal around, catching up for a cup of tea is an act of worship. First thing, we can worship God by loving others. Second thing here is, what I think of, is we can worship God by honouring marriage. Have a look at verse 4 there. He says, Let marriage be held in honour among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now, I don't need to say this, but our culture doesn't really value sexual purity, doesn't really want to honour 
the marriage bed uh, and certainly doesn't want to honour marriage. Uh, you know, sexual promiscuity is encouraged, it's celebrated. Uh, you know, there's just apps that are built around promoting it, <laughs> making it happen. Uh, and, you know, society says, it's, what does it matter? If it's two consenting adults, um, who cares? They can, they can go for it. Uh, you know, last couple of years, the government has changed the definition of marriage in our society. Uh, we have 50% divorce rate, around 50% divorce rate. In any kind of movie or Netflix series, uh, you'll, you'll rarely see a sex scene between a husband and wife. Uh, it's most likely either adultery, you know, kind of that narrow between um, some, like, sex with a person that's already married, or it's sexual immorality, which is kind of the, the wider catch-all term, which is just uh, sex outside of marriage. That's the culture. This is the air we breathe, isn't it? Uh, this is where many of us might be thinking, oh, man, um, what's he going on about here? This, um, you know, this, this kind of rubs us, can rub us uh, uh, the wrong way. But here's the thing, God, because of who he is and what he's done for us, he, he, he calls people to hold marriage in honour, to be sexually pure, to hold it in high esteem. It's precious. And when he's talking about marriage there, he's talking about uh, the promises between one man and one woman that's lifelong, where they commit to each other, to serve each other. And it's to show as a reflection of God's love for his people. It's beautiful. God made it this way so that we could be sexually intimate in security. Uh, and he made it and he wants us to honour that. Now, many decide not to honour it. And many in our church decide not to honour it. Uh, but Christians are called to honour God's design for marriage. He's saying it's good. Sex is good and to be enjoyed in marriage. It's good for society, for families, for couples to stay together. It's good for society as a way of bringing up children. Uh, marriage is to be held in high esteem. Not just from those married, but from those not yet married or those single. Uh, he does give us a very uh, strong, serious warning here, doesn't he? Verse 4, he says, Let, the marriage, let marriage be held in honour among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. See, there may be some of us who are married and have been, you know, tempted to uh, start an inappropriate relationship or a connection with someone else. Uh, God will say to you, pull back. Don't go there. Be faithful. Be faithful to your spouse. Uh, you might be here and you might be in a relationship or doing something that, that you need to stop. And God is saying, stop. Live how he would love you to live in worshipping him. Uh, if you are committing adultery, he says, God will judge you. Uh, now, that is unless you repent, unless you ask for forgiveness and you change your behaviour. See, maybe you're here and you're um, not married, but you're you know, being sexually intimate and immoral with someone else. And you're tempted to just to flirt with and go down that path. Can I say God's call for you is to be pure, to honour the marriage bread, 
Come back to him. Listen to why he said this is good for us. Now, the reality is all of us live in the mess of brokenness here. All of us. Uh, and, in, and there's battles on every front, whether you're married or single, or whatever your situation is. And I think we need to remind each other of the grace we have in Jesus, the once-for-all sacrifice. But also we need to remind each other of the grace of God that is at work in us. It's not impossible for us to make healthy, God-honouring, God-worshipping changes in this way. Uh, God has washed you clean and he is changing you from the inside out and change is possible. See, part of worshipping God, part of being a follower of Jesus, is using your body uh, as a sacrifice as in to worship others. Will you do that? Will you worship God with your attitude towards marriage and keep the marriage bed pure? The third thing I want us to reflect on is we worship God by submitting to our leaders. Uh, have a look in verse 7 there. He says, Remember your leaders, are those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Or verse 17, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who, have, as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I said this at the start, but we Aussies, we love, we're, I think we, we love submitting to our leaders. Uh, we get deep joy out of it. Uh, it's not our thing, is it? Is it it's, I just feel like this just rubs um, so part of our culture. You know, we're kind of hardwired not to. You know, the, the tall poppy syndrome. But if you want to be radical, if you want to be like stand out, is humbly submit yourself to leaders. You will stand out like a sore thumb. Now, the, the role of us leaders, is their responsibility is, we get from the passage, is to speak the word of God. You know, that's to, to open up the scriptures, to tell people about the grace found in the Lord Jesus, uh, to live a life that's worth imitating, secondly, you know, to set a godly example, uh, to, to oversee, to organise, uh, to govern, not, not um, as dictators, but as those who lovingly organise and care for the souls. Uh, we're, we're called to watch out because we are going to be given, have to give an account. We're held responsible. Now, that doesn't mean you're not responsible, but God, in the midst of this community he's given us, makes leaders try to take care of people's spiritual life. And we take that seriously here. And the reality is that can, depending uh, on a whole bunch of things, that can either be a joy or a burden. And can I just say, like, I do find this aspect a joy. I feel like you guys are very countercultural in how you respond uh, to leaders. Um, but what is uh, people, what's the congregation's uh, responsibility here? Well, it's, it's to consider their leader's life. It's to consider and obey their teaching as insofar as in line with what God says. It's to listen and put into practice. Now, that's verse 9. You need to be discerning. You need to know that it's not strange, wrong. It's not self-serving teaching, but it's actually for their good. 
That's why he wants you to be deep in God's word yourself. But if the teaching is from Scripture, uh, he wants you to obey, uh, to respect and to listen. It's just like any community, isn't it? You know, in a soccer organization, you need, uh, you know, you need a coach and a captain. In a family, it works when there's clear leadership with parents. Um, you know, it's not the child telling the parents what to do, but the parents telling the children what to do. It's the same in a church family, uh, and it brings a joyful service. Now, in our context, I have leaders that I uh, submit to, and I joyfully submit to Rod, who's my leader. Now, in part, being part of an Anglican, we have a wider group of leadership, which I think is for the church's blessing. We have bishops and people who overlook and oversee and are responsible for areas in our diocese. But don't you have the question, but hang on, what if the leaders are jerks? Yeah. What if, I, what if they're just un, like, ungodly and I don't like them? Well, can I say, first thing I would encourage you to do is speak to them, or speak to me, if that's me you're thinking about. Um, <laughs> gently, humbly, show them their fault, pray for them, help them. Uh, don't go slandering or gossiping or trying to undermine them, but love them. Point out their sin. Give them the benefit of the doubt, and encourage them to grow in their responsibility. Uh, what if you disagree? What if you disagree, you know, with their policy or their strategy? And the chances are, I mean, what are the chances of all agreeing on what we ought to do in every single situation? Pretty slim. Slim to none. Um, but when it does, I, can I just say what I encourage you to do is uh, talk about it. Discuss it respectively. Uh, when you're convinced that you're, you're being heard and understood, uh, if you can't persuade us, persuade them, submit to it. Uh, get on joyfully submitting to who God's put in your place to care for you. Um, friends, can I ask you, is this an area where you worship God? Are you cooperative? Are you responsive? Uh, do you obey and submit to those above you joyfully? It's a great countercultural witness to each other and to the church. Uh, I want to wrap up, but this is three ideas about what acceptable worship is to God. It's a full-time job, 24-7 affects our actions, our attitudes, our words, loving others in relationship. Not about earning, but about being thankful to God and bringing Him pleasure. It's not about making sacrifices as if Jesus' sacrifice was not enough. Uh, no, it's about being empowered by grace to live as he would love us to live because it pleases him. I want to finish with verse 20. Verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that what is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, well, we've heard this morning that worship is an all-of-life thing, isn't it? Uh, it's not just something that we do.